Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning, and we trust that you are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. I'm going to change things up just a tiny bit this morning. Normally, I'd begin the sermon with an illustration, then talk about the biblical text, and then end with the punchline, the good news that the passage has for us this week. But this morning, I'm going to do it just slightly differently. Today, the punchline is so good that I'm going to give it to you at the beginning. First thing, right off the bat, then I'm going to repeat it in the middle, and then finally say it again at the end. So good news in the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. Don't worry, though, we will fit in the illustration and the biblical interpretation, I promise. So here's the good news. This is in the form of a quote from Martin Luther in the context of his Heidelberg disputation, something that I've quoted to you before. This is Thesis 28. Ready? The love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. Let that wash over you. Has there ever been better news more succinctly put than that? The love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. In other words, God isn't desperately looking around trying to find someone who isn't a sinner so that he can love them. No. Instead, God's love makes a sinner lovely. The love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. Now, I'd be tempted to just say amen and sit down at this point, having given you the good news up front. But there is a problem. We humans have an incredibly hard time believing that this can be true. It sounds just too good. So to prove to you that this is true, let's turn to an illustration and then to the Bible. And This morning, I want to talk to you about status. There's a scene in the great George Clooney film, Up in the Air where he meets a woman in a bar and they end up comparing their frequent traveler membership cards, rental car clubs, hotel membership clubs, airline preferred customer cards, you know, the sorts of things. And eventually the woman looking through George Clooney's wallet comes upon his American Airlines concierge key, which must be so cool that I've never even heard of it. This is the key card that gets you into the fancy lounge at the airport with the cushy sofas and private waitresses and free booze. The woman's next line in the movie is the killer line. That, she says, is pretty sexy. Now, when Clooney jokes that he hopes it doesn't cheapen their relationship, she says, we're two people who get turned on by elite status. 
I think cheap is our starting point. But here's the thing. Everyone is turned on by elite status. It is the human turn on. We crave it. We seek it. We'll do anything for it. We organize our lives around trying to achieve status. We go to the school, do the activities, apply for the job that will look good to other people. Haven't you ever wanted to be able to tell someone that your assistant will be in touch? Or that you'll meet them at your club? Or just to have someone need to come to you for help? We want status. We want people, when they think of us, to be impressed. And Jacob, in our reading from Genesis this morning, is the same way. He wants to be impressive, and he finds himself in a situation where he's able to choose his wife. A beautiful one, or an ugly one. Is it any wonder that he chooses the beauty? Of course he does. It will give him status. It will make him impressive. This is a no-brainer of a human choice. Now, if you don't know the sort of full context of the story, Jacob is the nephew of a man named Laban, and he's staying in his house after a long journey. We could tell the whole story of Jacob, but that's like a 10-month sermon series. But after a month, Laban tells Jacob that if he's going to stay, he deserves some kind of pay for the services he'll render, you know, helping out around the house. And he asks Jacob, what then should your wages be? And Jacob has met Laban's two daughters. He's got his eye on one of them. He thinks that Rachel, Laban's younger daughter, is beautiful. While the elder daughter, Leah, well, not so much. She's described by the Bible as having weak eyes or soft eyes. Weak eyes? That's even worse than saying she's got a great personality. Imagine it. What's Rachel like? Oh, she's beautiful in form and appearance. And Leah? Well, she's got weak eyes. I even heard one historian once say that this is actually a euphemism. That the actual meaning is something like, she's so ugly, she'll make your eyes weak. This is a biblical yo mama joke. Here's the brutality with which the Bible lays it out. This is Genesis 29, 17 and 18. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. It doesn't get any clearer than that. And so Jacob agrees to work for Laban for seven years for the right to marry Rachel. And then, and then Laban tricks Jacob in a soap opera-worthy plot twist, on the wedding night, seven years later, when Jacob is probably too drunk to notice, Laban sends older and uglier daughter Leah into the wedding tent in Rachel's place. And this results in one of the most hilarious uses of punctuation in the entire Bible. I would love to have been a fly on the wall when the translation committee decided to end verse 25 with an exclamation point. When morning came, it was Leah! Exclamation point! And so Jacob has to work seven more years to get Rachel, the woman he wanted in the first place. 
So now Jacob is married to both of them, but he is not an equal opportunity lover. Instead, we get the unvarnished words of Genesis 29, verse 30. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Jacob loves beauty more than ugly. Because of course he does. Everyone does. Well, not everyone. Because, of course, that's not the end of the story. That's the end of our reading this morning. But the story goes on. While Jacob chooses Rachel, God chooses Leah. Here are verses 31 and 32. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Now, Rachel is described as barren, though years later the Lord will, in fact, bless her with children. She's described this way, barren, because the Bible wants to make this dichotomy incredibly clear. Rachel is not chosen by God. For now, she's barren. Only Leah can have children. And not only can Leah have children... We'll come to find out that she is the mother of the line through which Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is born. Jacob chose Rachel, but God chose Leah. Jacob chooses beauty over ugly. It shows everyone how successful he is. God chooses ugly over beauty. It shows everyone how gracious he is. Remember, the love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. Notice that the love of God works in what seems to us like a backwards way. We assume that God will be like Jacob, choosing the beautiful over the ugly and righteous people over sinners And we assume this because we are like Jacob. Almost everything we do in our lives is structured in such a way as to build ourselves up, to gain us status, to get us picked. We do this with other people, and we do it with God. That's perhaps most obvious and easiest to see with other people. We want to impress those around us, so we align ourselves with the impressive We want to seem beautiful, so we surround ourselves with the beautiful. We want to seem young and vibrant, so we do the same thing. We surround ourselves with the young and vibrant. We want to be popular and well-liked, so we align ourselves with whatever society is in favor of at the moment. We want to sit at the cool lunch table. We're like Jacob, always choosing the beautiful over the ugly. And we think that this striving, this putting ourselves next to the powerful people and putting ourselves next to the beautiful people will help us be powerful and beautiful too. But it isn't. Instead, it's killing us. It's time once again for my patented Hugh Hefner principle. I plan to mention Hugh Hefner enough that you all know my Hugh Hefner principle. This is a simple principle. Did having young, sexy girlfriends make Hugh Hefner seem young and sexy? 
No, of course not. They made him look like the crypt keeper, like he was already dead. Don't you have some handsome person in your life who makes you feel ugly? Or some smart person in your life who makes you feel stupid? Because this is universally true, it's also true that our striving always brings us up short. Our efforts to be beautiful make us feel ugly. Our efforts to be strong ultimately show us to be weak. Our efforts to be young ultimately only remind us that we're going to die. Now the world speaks commandments like be beautiful and be popular. And when we come face to face with true beauty and true popularity, true wisdom, we see what failures we are. We see how short we've fallen. But that's just dealing with people. We haven't even started talking about God yet. Because God speaks commandments too. They're not so trivial as the world's. The Lord doesn't care if you're beautiful or popular. But God's commandments work on us in exactly the same way, revealing our shortcomings and our need. And if we decide that God is like Jacob, choosing beauty over ugly, and that he'll only love us if we make ourselves beautiful in his eyes, righteous, holy, and good, then we'll die in just the same way. If we try to gain status with God, our faith will burn out. It cannot survive, and we will begin to hate the God for whom we think we are not beautiful enough. Thankfully, that's not how God chooses. Our God is not like Jacob. In the world where there's someone always smarter or more beautiful than you, in comparison to that, God's standard is even more unattainable because it's set by the almighty creator of the universe. There's never loving enough, generous enough, forgiving enough. There's never righteous enough, good enough, or holy enough. Jesus' standard is perfection. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. At the risk of quoting Martin Luther too much in one sermon, I'm going to say that in light of that standard, Luther observed that a quest for glory could never be satisfied. We can never reach peace because we can never be perfect. There's no status level high enough, no concierge key card that will get us into that final Lounge. We must always fear that God is out there looking for someone who's doing a little bit better than we are. But if the quest for glory can never be satisfied, Luther said, it could be extinguished. And here's how God works. God extinguishes our quest for glory by not asking us to become beautiful but by choosing us while we are ugly. The love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. There's never righteous enough, good enough, or holy enough, but there is Jesus. 
And there is only Jesus. Only Jesus is the source of our peace. The good news is that God chooses Leah. Because everything in our lives says to us, be Rachel or you won't get picked. We desperately need a savior from that life because that life is killing us. We need a God who doesn't make decisions like Jacob. And we have one. In Christ, in Christ, God aligns himself with the ugly, the powerless, the outcast, but a certain kind of outcast, a sinner with the unworthy. He sends his son into the world, not for righteous people, but for the unrighteous. He chooses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. He comes to the unloving, the selfish, the unforgiving. Jesus's rescue mission is to the Leahs of the world, to the people so ugly that no one would ever choose them. In other words, his mission is to you and to me. We are Leah. We're sure that no one would choose us if they really knew us, if they saw the ugliness inside. But there is good news today. God chose you. He extinguishes your quest for glory by freely giving you his own glory. So admit your ugliness and accept his love. Confess, repent, and believe that the love of God does not find but creates that which is pleasing to it. God is not desperately seeking someone good that he can love. Instead, because of Jesus Christ and the free gift of his righteousness, his goodness, and his holiness, you are the chosen of the Lord, made a good and faithful servant, made a beloved child, made a blameless son or daughter of Almighty God. This God in Christ has chosen you today and every day and in so doing has made you pleasing to him. Thanks be to this God for Jesus Christ, the savior of sinners, sinners like you and me. Amen.